All right, good morning. Thanks, Andrew, for sharing with our church about missionaries. As he mentioned, we're in the book of Romans. We kicked it off last week and uh, just excited to go through this book. And as I said up here, just there we go. Romans, we're titling this The Road of Faith. And um, I thought last week was a great kickoff. I wanted to get you excited about the depth of the book. It's historical impact that it's had on the church and uh, also its simplicity. I think if you recall last week I was walking over here this side and I was saying it has such deep doctrine in it. We walked through all the doctrine that is in it. Then we come over here and says, but yet there's a simplicity to it. The Romans road, I understood as a child and put my faith in Christ. And it holds both of those together in the book. The simplicity of faith and the deep doctrines of the Bible that are both there. And we titled this message, The Road of Faith. Now, um, I'm going to title the message today, The Heart of Ministry. And we're going to go through chapter 1 up to verse 15, where at the end of verse 15 it says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And we're going to get at the eagerness that Paul had in his ministry and yet also draw out of it the heart of it, not only who he was in the ministry, but we're going to call all of us into that today. And I'll begin by reminding you that last uh, fall, I actually preached out of Romans chapter 1. So I've thought through how to preach it just a little bit different, so it's not in the exact same sermon. But in the fall, I, I was using this chapter to talk about Mel. Mel was a youth pastor here, served five years, and then he came and he sat right there, and there were a number of families from our church sitting with him, and we preached out of this chapter a uh, exhortation to him, and we were commissioning him and these members of our church who were leaving to go out. They were going to plant a church here on this island, and we walk through the, the chapter, and you have Paul. He's saying, I'm an apostle. I'm called to the gospel to preach it. And he felt the calling, and he expressed it in Romans 1. And we use that to preach to Mel and the church members who were leaving to go plant, that they felt called. He, Mel felt called to be a preacher here in Guam. He felt called to plant a church. And there was this similarity, right? And so today, we're going to... Um, examine further this chapter and learn how it can uh, apply to us. So I'm going to start in Romans 1, verses 1 to 2. I put it up there on the screen. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, in Verse 1 and 2 here, he's introducing himself. Paul's the author of this book. He gives an introduction, and I have to read this one quote. I thought it was just a fantastic quote. This comes from uh, uh, Kent Hughes. He says, he could have introduced himself as Paul, eminent theologian, master of the Old Testament scriptures, frontline warrior, brilliant of intellect, but he chose doulos. Paul, servant. Also, the word doulos means slave. He said, not all those high and mighty Ivy, Ivy Tower um, titles. 
He says, servant. And at the beginning, I thought, what, what a, uh, an observation to make. Because we live in an age where we cling on to our identities on things that are high and mighty. I mean, to be a doctor, to have that in your title, doctor so-and-so, to have a rank that's high, to have a position in a company. And yet, of all Paul's accomplishments, he, he begins by saying, servant. And that means something. That, that should say something to you, that his identity is grounded in the fact that he is a servant, first and foremost, above all else. He serves the king of the universe. He's a slave to the master of righteousness and grace. Are you? Where do you find your identity? Not only that, but he says, set apart. Set apart for the gospel. Now, I was thinking through how to get you to grab onto something here. And so, set apart as in, I'm going to take this, I'm going to put it over here, and it has a designation for something, right? And I was thinking in our house, you know, it's like when Christmas is coming around, we might, my wife and I have a conversation, we're going, how much are we going to set aside, set apart from our finances to buy Christmas presents for our kids? Because, you know, the kids will give you a list you could empty out your bank account for, right? You know, and so it's like we have a number. It's like we're not spending more than this because we always get up to that, whatever that number is. And it's like, oh, but there's one more thing, you know, and it's always like, honey, you know, it's like, well, this is what we got. Actually, it's probably the other way around, but, but we, we want to bless them, you know, and set apart. They're designated. That's the amount. And I imagine if you're sitting out here, you've done the same. I mean, maybe some of you are already putting away money for your kid's college education. It's set apart for that. It's designated for that. We're not going to use it. We're going to keep it for that. And Paul says, set apart for what? Set apart for the gospel. But not just set apart for, but set apart from. There's another, another meaning to the word. So I was uh, reading and picked up this quote to ex explain that. This comes from Donald Gray Barnhouse, and he says this about the idea of set apart in separation. He says, at times, people ask me if a Christian must be separated from the world. I always answer that it is not necessary to look at it from that point of view. If we are separated unto Christ, we are automatically separated from all that is opposed to Christ. You see that? You're separated from something. Separated from everything that opposes Christ. He went on to say, if I am in New York and I want to go to Philadelphia, I cannot be separated unto Philadelphia without being separated from New York. But the man who tries to be separated from the world without being separated unto Christ is going to find himself in a strange position. And Paul here at the outset is saying he's a servant, doulos, first and foremost, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, alluding to the fact that the gospel is not just a New Testament thing. It goes all the way back into the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. We have the gospel message there, looking ahead to what God would bring Promise beforehand, Paul says. And so, 
today as we look at the heart of ministry, the first observation is, has to do with identity. You need to remember who you are. Paul was an apostle set apart for the gospel. He knew who he was. And we live in a society that sometimes struggles with that, what our identities are. Paul had no question about who he was. And we can, as we begin the book, ask that question. Do you know who you are? Now, I'm going to come back to that, but I want to move on here. Verses 3 to 4, I'm going to read it. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, last week I made the comment there. I gave you three of the most common words used in the book of Romans. Do you remember what they were? One was righteousness, one was faith, and the other was Jesus Christ. Yes, he's in every single chapter. He's the very heart of the gospel. Uh, faith brings us into belief of who Jesus Christ is. And here, what I'm showing you is what I said last week. Here he is, Jesus Christ. We're gonna, as we go through the book, we're going to get Christology. And that's important, Be, not just because it leads them to salvation, but because Paul was always dealing with questions about Jesus Christ. So the second point that I put here is divinity. We have identity the heart of ministry, identity, and then divinity because you need to remember who it's about. It's about Jesus Christ. Now, I can ask some questions about Christ. Was he really a man? Was he the Messiah? Was he just a spirit? Maybe it's just a legend. And all of those, which I put up there, I want you to see, are questions people ask about Christ today. I've had conversations with people of other faiths, and we talk about Christ, and, well, He was just a God, not the God. Well, He was really just a, a man like a prophet. He, he had the spirit in the sense of a prophet, but He wasn't God. Well, He didn't really exist. His reputation grew in legend over time. He wasn't really God. And the reality is, is that all of those questions that I've had with people today, 2,000 years ago, Paul dealt with the same questions. And so he deals with that in his writings. He's always getting at who Christ is. And he answers that. And we're getting that right here in just two verses. We're getting the doctrine of Christ. Not all of it, you know, but we get some of it right here. We get both his humanity and his deity. You have in verse 3, He's born, just like we're physically born. He was born, but then in verse 4, declared to be. And I'll come back to that in a second, what he means by declared. But according to the flesh, there's his humanity, that he was flesh and bones, not just spirit. Christ's deity, according to the spirit of holiness. We had Christ's humanity, the seed of David, talking about he comes from a family. He has a family line. He's earthly. But then the resurrection from the dead, there's something non-earthly about that. And we're getting his humanity and his deity together in these two verses. And it's not the only place. Other places in the Bible. Isaiah 9, unto us a child is born. Humanity, earthly. But unto us a son is given. 
That's deity. That's from heaven, the Son from heaven. Paul writes in Galatians 4 that he was born under the law, earthly, but yet God sent forth his Son, heavenly. And you see an attempt in Scripture and by Paul in particular to deal with the doctrine of Christ because it's the bedrock, it's the foundation, who he is. I had a professor, and I, I, I cycle this, you know, I've, I've, I know I've done this before, but I had this, it just ingrained in my mind, in my first year in college, Bible college, this is 1990, long ago, sitting in this class, Dr. Rimmer, and he comes up and he writes on the board over here, Theos, which is the Greek word for God, Theos, and he comes over here and he writes over here, Anthropos, that's the Greek word for, for man, and then he goes like this, he goes, the anthropic man. You know, when you're like 18, you're sitting there going, whoa, in the front row. The anthropic man. And he just ingrained in our mind. Remember, he was God and man both. And as we go through Romans, he'll continue to give us doctrine about Christ. Now, let me take you to the next verse. Romans chapter 1, verse 5 says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, I highlighted the word we, and this is what we're really going to get into, the importance of today. Because already, it's like Paul, an apostle, you're talking about professional ministers. I mean, an apostle, there, there's 12, right? There's, well, yes, there is a specific office like that. But apostle also can be set apart. And right here you see he's saying, we, we, not just him, but we, you, he's saying, an apostle set apart in the same way that Paul was. You are set apart for the gospel. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. So in a sense, it's like, I told you, we, we, we preached uh, out of this passage for Mel, and he was standing right here. You remember the picture and him and Rachel, and I came down, which, by the way, we had the same shirt on. Someone pointed that out. I do have other shirts. I do, but I did not plan that. <laughs> to be, it wasn't until someone pointed it out. But uh, we didn't just talk about Mel and Rachel. Oh, the professional who's got the degree who we're laying our hands on. He's going to be a pastor. We called forward all the couples, and they came up here. And we're going to send you out as a team, a leadership team. You have a pastor, and he's developing leaders, and we're laying your hands. We, it's, there's a plurality there that's being sent out for the specific purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about these investments. So I got a picture because uh, first we had just Mel and Rachel, but uh, um, there's the whole group. There's the whole group. And there's our elders, and um, even Poncho and I snuck in there. You know, Poncho and I came to that service. They're not part of that church. They have a different church, GCLF. But Poncho, who's sitting right here, Poncho actually spent, was it 20 years in this church, 10 years as an elder, and all the investments that were made into Pancho and Ian, and then you look in that picture, and the elders, there's Jeff and Andrew in the back, and the investments that were made into Robert and uh, all of those uh, people that are standing there, and now they're being sent out. Because, see, that's 
what I'm driving at today is relational ministry. It's your ministry. What is your ministry? Where is your relationships that are investing in people? You have been set apart for the gospel. You've been given something to give to someone else. And yes, there's a simplicity right here, the Romans road. And then over here, there's the deep doctrines of the Bible. But in between, first, there's new birth, or we come along some, somebody who's young, and we walk them forward in faith, growing them and maturing them in the doctrines of the Bible. That is what Paul is talking about in this chapter, relational ministry. And I began to think about all the relational ministry here in Guam. I would start with the elders. You look at this picture. There's our four elders right now. Uh, Andrew and Steve. Um, you saw Andrew and Jeff in the service earlier, but Andrew and Steve uh, became elders after I served as the lead elder here. We called them into that. I spent time with them, relational ministry. I, we got together in the early mornings. We got together at lunch. We went through doctrines. I tried to vet out in them the type of theology that they had. It was an investment that was made. Jeff was already an elder here when I came. There's a rumor that he existed before the, the earth of Guam. You know, he's been here forever, right? But nevertheless, I sat right out there in that parking lot. I remember one of my first conversations with Jeff where we were talking about the difference between the word pastor and elder and what they mean. That there's always this this. In intentional investment in people. Now, Pancho, I already mentioned, I had conversations with Pancho. I don't know if you remember, Pancho, some of those conversations, but even now, we'll have coffee and we'll sit there uh, and have conversations about church. Now he's pastoring a, a different church and we have conversations about that. Um, two handsome guys, right? <laughs> different shirt. Now, you might be going, well, past, you know, Kevin, all of those examples are the professional guys. Okay, well, let me give you some other ones. How about Scott? There he is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Scott's not a pastor. If you hang around him, you'll notice that, you know, by the way he acts, right? I like to tease Scott. You may not know that Scott's one of my better friends in the church. We hang out quite a bit. Here's, a, here's us having a meal. We're not in a classroom, but yet investment happens outside of the classroom. It's like when Jesus stood there on the mountain and he told them, go make disciples of Jesus Christ. And then in your head, what did the disciples think? What, make a disciple? How do we do that? Oh, we need, see, because Jesus didn't put together a curriculum. They would have thought, we need to do with others all the things Jesus did with us. Yes, sometimes we sat down and it was very didactic. It was a teacher and student. But then other times it's just walking along the road and something happens. And we get to see how he responds. And then over here, we see the religious leaders who are preaching untruth and how he interacts with them. They watched how he lived his life. That's how he made disciples. They spent time together, not just in a classroom. Here it is having a meal. He's not a pastor, but I'm invest investing in him. How about two other guys? Shippy and Alex. Alex is... He came to our church, and Alex is, now he's, 
He's uh, serving in InterVarsity. He's like a missionary. But uh, we're playing a game. Look at that. We're playing a game. And there's Shippy. Uh, I first ran into Shippy sitting in the stands at a soccer game. What church do you go to? Who are you? Our wives were playing in the game on the same team. And I'm talking to Shippy. And Shippy, he's the guy with the big beard there. And uh, Shippy's like, well, we kind of go to this church, but we haven't been going very much. And then through that conversation, they ended up coming back into church. They weren't really in church. They had left it, and now they're back into church. And then all of these years, the conversations, and not just a classroom. We're having a game. We're eating a meal. We're having coffee on the beach, right? And then um, Ian. Ian, who came into this church a few years ago, and now he serves as a leader in Poncho's church. But he is the, he just became the president. He's up on the left there. He just became the president at the um, uh, Pacific uh, Island University here on the island. And that picture up there, we had a three-hour coffee. Yes. I, I don't know what that says. The longer coffees mean something about how much investment you have to make into the person. I don't know. You know, just, I'm just kidding. I'm teasing you, Ian. But... Look at that. Look at all the different settings in the scenes. Investment into people. And then you, if I were, the next picture, if I bring the elders back in and I bring Mel back in, there's a lot of investment there in people, relational ministry. And all of these, I will tell you, weren't new birth. These are all people who already had relationships with Christ, but there's still a road being walked where you're walking along the road with them and you're taking them forward. And see, this is my question is, who are you walking with? Who are you investing in? This is the heart of ministry. And you know why I ask that question? Because here's, here's the, the words that come out of Paul's letter. And I, the word I chose is conformity. We have identity. We have divinity. We have conformity because we need to remember what's important. We need to remember not only who it's about, but we're supposed to be helping conform people to who it's about. It's about Christ, and we're to help conform people to Christ. Let me just take you back and read you what he says. Okay, he says, Through whom, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, now listen to this, to bring about the obedience of faith. That's the goal, to bring about the obedience of faith in other people. And you say, well, how do you do that? Well, if you're a parent, you know how you do that because it's a lot like parenting. You have a relationship with them. In the relationship, you're, you're, you're the parent. You should be more mature, and you're help bringing them along and teaching them, speaking into their life, living life with them. And this is what Christ did with the disciples to bring about a greater faith in them over time, and it's what we're called to do. You have conversations. You see things in their life. You talk about that. You talk about God's word and how it applies to them because obedience to faith is not about, I know all the deep doctrines of the Bible. I can have a debate with you about election. I can talk about the end times. I know all the different perspectives. That's not maturity. Somebody can know all the doctrines of the Bible and still not be obedient in faith to the gospel. Maturity is always about the gospel coming into your life and conforming yourself to it. Seeing ways in which you don't live by faith, you live by the flesh. You put your hope in the wrong things. And 
you conform. You become more and more like Christ in that way. And it's relational. Now, let's go to the next one, verses 6 to 7. It says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ to all those in Rome. Now, I highlighted that because it's a specific place, a specific people who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, from this, I have the word selectivity. So the heart of ministry, we have an identity. Remember who you are. Divinity, it's about Christ. Conformity, we are supposed to conform to Christ. But selectivity is this. It's really about the audience that Paul knows his audiences. And you see this in the New Testament. There are times where he would say, when I'm with the Jews, I'm, I'm like the Jews. And with the, with the Gentiles, I'm like the Gentiles. He understood different audiences. He would preach differently to the Jews than he would to the Gentiles. He knows them. And here in, in this uh, verse, what I'm trying to get you to see is he uses the word Rome because he's writing to Rome. And they have a distinct belonging being the church of Rome in God's uh, in God's church to all those in Rome who are loved by God called to be saints. Now, I wanted to uh, use this as a way to illustrate this. Maybe you've heard of this. Go ahead and put, put the slide up there that's Saddleback Sam. Okay, Saddleback Sam. Anyone ever heard of this? This comes out of Rick Warren's church. Rick Warren, a mega church pastor in Southern California. I believe he just retired. I'm not sure. But huge church, tens of thousands of people. It's in the Saddleback area. So Saddleback's the area. The name of the church is Saddleback. And when he planted the church there, he hardly had anybody. Now there's tens of thousands of people. And then he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life, another one, The Purpose Driven Church, where he talks about this road traveled where they became this mega church. And one of the things he talks about is in order to reach the area... We try to think about and study who are the people we're reaching. Who are we reaching? And, and they came up with a person. They called that person Saddleback Sam. This is the type of person that exists in the area we're trying to reach. In fact, I put a picture up of what that guy was like. He likes his job. He looks like a professional. He, he likes where he lives. He is self-satisfied, even smug about his station in life health and fitness are high priorities. Like this is, so in other words, when they went out to, to witness and take the gospel to that area, this is what predominantly the type of person they ran into. Now just think about this for a second. Because Paul's talking about the, the Christians in Rome. There's a, there's a spe- specific who they are. Who are we reaching? This, is, this, isn't, this isn't Guam, is it? Now you may, you may not be aware of this. But I, see, I see you chuckling because you know where I'm going is there was a time in this church where they came up with this. They did this. We didn't have a Saddleback Sam. We had a Bayview Benny. <laughs> a Bayview Benny. And a Bayview Bertha. Right. Because the female has a different name. Right. I don't, I don't remember Saddleback Sally. I don't remember. But, uh, uh, but just think about what that would be. I mean, Guam's predominantly Catholic. So you're usually running into people who have some type of Catholic religious experience. Uh, I would say today that Many of them are disenfranchised Catholics. They have a lack of uh, trust in, in institutional church because of what's happened here. But do you see what I'm getting at? It's like you ha- you're mindful of who it is you're trying to reach. You're thinking about that. 
Uh, and Paul was like, Paul was like that. And he, so what were the Roman, Romans like? What, what, what we could say? Well, he goes on to say, and this, follow with me here, we're in verses 9 to 10. It says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that God, asking, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Let me back up just a second. I skipped one. Verse 8. Uh, let me read verse 8 again. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. In other words, if we were to put Roman Rani up there, it would say that the, the, the Christians in that church were full of faith. And then I guess Roman Rami would be the ones they're trying to reach. But the, the, the Christians in that church were full of faith. Now that's kind of important. You know why? Because when you look at the books that Paul wrote, oftentimes when he was writing to a church, he was writing to correct things about that church. Church in Corinth, you guys are mixed up on spiritual gifts. I'm writing to you about this. Church in Galatia, you're mixed up on the law. You're bringing rules back in. You're living by the law. But the Romans are known for their faith. And because of that, we get this great epistle, this letter that is the great, greatest book in the Bible about faith and justification by faith alone. That's who he knows his audience. He's writing to them, and they, are, they have a distinct reputation about their faithfulness. And then I read to you verse 9 and 10, uh, where, where he says, Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Which I'll say something later about his desire to come to them, but I want you to see the distinct prayers. So in, in his prayer life, he carved out distinct words for the Roman Christians. He prayed for them. What does he say? He said, without ceasing. And so there's a way in which, so it's relational. I'm going to take this person, walk him down the road. This is what ministry is about. It's not just classroom and teaching doctrine. But part of it is prayer and selectivity. You're choosing who to walk along with, and you're praying for them. Do you pray for anyone that you are trying to reach? Because that's part of Paul's model for you. Distinct reputation, what are they like? How might you talk or preach to them, and are we keeping them in prayer? Now let me move along. Paul says in verses 11 to 12, For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, when we preached this passage on uh, to Mel, I camped out here a lot. I had a lot more to say. Uh, you can go back and listen to that sermon. It was in the fall. But the one thing I want to point out I highlighted the word mutually 
Because Paul recognized, see, you might think as a teacher, it's just a one-way thing. You're just feeding other people. But what you see is it goes both ways. Paul, he uses the word mutually. And in, in, in as much as I'm going to minister to you, you are ministering to me. Essentially is what he is saying. And so there's two thoughts I want to give you on this point. The first one is this, is you give ministry, but you get ministry. So think about on that road as you're going, you are thoughtful about who you're walking with, you're praying for them, and you're like investing, but there's a way in which those interactions come back and they stretch you and they grow you. In my relationships with the people I put up there, I would say that that's true. And, but before I get to that, because I want to show you something, but let me give you the second part of this, which is that God cares more about the minister than He does about the ministry. And what I mean by that, this is a, this is a, a phrase I've used for a lot of years. And I usually speak it to people who are in ministry that are stressed out or they feel like I can't leave because if I leave, it'll all fall apart. No. God God owns everything. And if he takes you and he says, I'm going to use you over here for ministry, and then somehow you feel you're so important to that ministry that you can't leave it, well, what if God calls you somewhere else? We learned in our Christmas series that Paul went to Antioch. They spent a time there and then they left. They grew the most cutting edge in the world in Antioch, and then he left. Well, I can't leave. No, God calls you somewhere else. He can always bring somebody else in to do the ministry if he calls you somewhere else. But along the way, what he cares about, he puts you there because he's growing you in that particular situation. God calls you into this situation. It's unique from every other situation, and you're going to grow in a way that you wouldn't, perhaps, if you stayed over there. So he called you here for that. He cares about your growth. He can bring somebody else in to do that job. You listen to him. You grow in that moment. You lead. You invest. Let me show you the picture. Let me put it back up there. And here's what I wanted to say about that. All those people I said, I walk along the road with, I invest in them. All of them invest in me. It goes both ways. I'm giving ministry, but I get ministry too. Sometimes the ministry is I'm challenged by how to uh, minister to them. But many times, especially the guys in these pictures, they speak truth into my life. That's why the road of discipleship is so important. It's not just to grow others, it's so that you grow as well. So, on that note, I put um, activity, remember what you do, which is walking along that road. He's talking about it. He's praying for them. He's talking about how much he wants to come and visit them. You see his heart, right? So as we walk through this, our identity, remember who you are, the divinity, remember who it's about, it's Christ, conformity, conformity to Christ. I think I didn't, I got the, a different word, audience, but selectivity, remember who you're reaching. Activity is remembering what you do as you're walking along that road. And then our last point today, let me read you the verses. <clears throat> Verse 13, I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, what I want to show you from this is intentionality. Because he says in that verse, 
that I have often intended. That we get the word intentional right there. He, inten- he was thoughtful about it. And that's why there's a way, and what I, what I want to press in and exhort you is, where's your intentionality? Every one of us, because we are all apostles set apart for the gospel, should be walking along the road with someone, but you have to be intentional. If you're not intentional, it's very possible that you get towards the end of your life and you look backwards and you've never really invested in anyone. And when you stand before God and He says, I, this is all I gave you, whether it's IQ, temperament, where you were born, the country, the state, the place, the family I gave you, the money that you had, the house that you had, the cars that you had, what's the end result? And it should be that everything that was given has produced some type of disciple. Go into all the world and make disciples for Christ. Panta ta ethne, every nation. And in Romans chapter 1, he even uses the word nations, a link back to that great commission. We are apostles set apart for the gospel. We should be investing in people somehow, some way. And you have to be intentional. And I love this one part. He says, thus far I have been prevented. Now, when I preached to Mel, I, I really hit the harvesting part. Let me point, I didn't say this in the sermon to Mel, but how was he prevented? Well, if you study Paul, there were times where he wanted to go here, but God said, go over there. There's a, one time where he wanted to go into Asia, because Asia was like no gospel. And God said, no. And there's a way in which this is why you need to be prayerful. When I say Paul is praying for who he's ministering to, you need to be in prayer about investment. Who should I invest in this person? Should I walk alongside that person? Be intentional. Be prayerful. Because sometimes God says, go over here and don't go over there. Put your time here. Don't put your time there. And sometimes with the, the people in those pictures, they, we have conversations. It's, it's like, don't invest too much time there. Put your time over here. You need to be intentional, thoughtful, prayerful. Paul was intentional, sometimes prevented. God directed him. He goes on to say, verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now, the part I want to draw out of this, because you've got uh, diversity there, right? You've got no barriers, Greeks or barbarians, but I want to hone in on the word obligation here, because how is Paul obligated? You see, you might, it has, a, it has the sense of indebtedness, and how is Paul in debt to the Romans? How is he obligated to the Romans? How? How does he owe them? You see, there's a way in which you can owe somebody because of what they've done, right? They, they worked for you, so you owe them a wage. Or they borrowed from you, they owe to give it back, right? But that's not, the, that's not what he's talking about here. Paul's talking about an obligation that comes from the fact that God gave him something to give to other people. So it would work like this. Work like this. If I, if I came down here to Pancho, and Pancho gives me a hundred dollars, he says, "I want you to give this uh, to Mark, just for illustration." You know. yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> Pancho gives me a hundred dollars. Says, "I want you to give it to Mark." Right? 
And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to get to Mark. So then I'm, you know, I, you know, well, I'm going to get around to it. At some point, I'm going to get around to it, you know. But I'm really busy right now. I got too much going on. Now I, got, I don't even got time to drive over there. I keep going by Mark. And now maybe Mark doesn't even know. This is Mark, by the way, right here. I keep walking in front of him. And uh, maybe he doesn't even know. But maybe he does know. I don't know. But here's the thing. I might come back over here and Poncho says, hey, did you give him that $100? And what kind of pressure is that? That, that pressure is like, I, I have this expectation that I gave you something, and I'm trusting that you're going to give it to someone else. That's the kind of pressure, that's the kind of obligation he's talking about. The obligation is, I gave you something, and the expectation is you're going to give it to someone else. I'm, uh, I'm obligated to do that. And Paul says, I have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I am obligated to give it to someone else. And then he's thoughtful about it, he's prayerful about it, He's intentional about it, but he takes the obligation serious. And this is where I, I say to our church, where is your sense of obligation? If you're a believer in Christ, you've been given something. If you've been given something, God is wanting you to give it to others. That's what he says in that great commission. Now, Lastly here, so the responsibility is that he's intentional, he's obligated, but the last one here is, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, before I finish with this, I'm going to go back up all the way where he talks about these Roman Christians in verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God, and called to be saints. Now, I want to ask you this question. How are they saints? What is a saint? And see, remember last week when I said Romans, I think, has very good application to the culture of Guam because it's predominantly Catholic, and there's a, there's a certain understanding about saints. We have, you know, statues of saints. We have, it's in our culture. How do you become a saint? You see, if we just live in the world the idea we might have is that you live a certain way and then down the road, perhaps after you're dead, there's a council of men who will look backwards on your life and determine if what you did with your life somehow vaults you forward in a way that you can be declared a saint. Not everybody could be that, but we lift those saints up like that. That is not in Scripture. That's not what he's talking about. Because that understanding puts all the emphasis on you and what you do. And let me tell you something. Your righteousness will always fall short of God's standard. Your righteousness is like filthy rags, Scripture says. You can't attain sainthood like that. Last week we talked about the word righteousness, which has to do with right standing, right? And it's when you're looked at, you're looked at as if in good standing. So God looks at you and he sees saint, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done. And the picture is Christ lived a, a life that was totally righteous. And then that righteousness, Paul's going to talk about it in Romans, but it's given to us. It's like described like it's a white cloak and it comes down and we put it on and we look at us. You see white, uh, uh, symbolic of purity, of good standing. Nothing that we did, if you evaluated my life, would give me that. 
And yet Paul's writing to the Romans, to the church there, and he calls them saints. I want to read you this one quote about that. Actually, this comes from... Uh, um, well, here's the deal. <laughs> when I study, I'll have eight or nine books on my desk, and I'm reading about it. I found this quote in multiple books, and in every book, they never told me who said it. It's almost as if every book I read, they were the one that said it. So I guess I'm going to claim this as mine as well. But here's what it says. We are not called because we are saints. We are saints because we are called. We are not called because we are saints. We are saints because we are called. And so when you're reading this, and Paul says to the Romans, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And he, he finishes this section off. He's eager. He's eager to meet them. He's eager to minister to them. He's eager to preach the gospel to them who are in Rome. So you could finish by saying... Uh, at the end here, your responsibility then, as Paul's was, he was intentional with the responsibility given to him. Not only was he intentional, but he was obligated, and then he was eager. He was eager. And I might ask you, what are you eager for? And I finished with the last slide, which is just the heart of ministry. This is really the heart of ministry, where Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. Also, who are in Rome? Who are you eager to preach to? Who are you eager to minister to? Who are you eager to walk alongside? Let me ask you this. What are you eager about? Everybody's eager about something. Some people are eager about the football game tomorrow. Oh, the Super Bowl's tomorrow. I'm eager for that. Some of you are eager about a vacation coming up. Some of you are eager about when will this church service end? He's preaching forever. That was Scott. I could read it in his face. You, you see, you're eager about something, and Paul, he's eager about ministering the gospel to people, and he calls you into that because you are all apostles set apart for the gospel of Christ. Father, thank you so much as we kick off this series on Romans, the road of faith, and even though there's such great and deep doctrine in this book, you begin with something so practical, which is walk the road of faith with someone. Paul is such a great model of ministry for us. We see it. We see um, he loved the people that you gave him to minister to. He was eager to minister to them. He was serious about it, thoughtful and intentional. And I, and I pray, Lord, if there's one thing we can walk away from, that everyone sitting here would have a measure of that going away from the service today to ask the question, am I making a disciple at all anywhere? And Lord, if you, if we just move forward 1%, 1% in this room who become more intentional, who feel that obligation and get serious about it and an eagerness to try to get after it a little bit, then you are glorified, Lord. But I pray that you would grow us beyond a 1% that we would look at our lives and say, who can I walk alongside? That we'd pray about it. Maybe you direct them to a particular person. We would know our audience. How can we best reach them? And we would pray for them. Paul 
never ceased to pray for those he was trying to reach. Thank you for his example, the model that he was, and may we emulate it and give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll finish as we worship.